Welcome to Living Water Worship Center. What a great privilege it is to be able to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We count it a mighty blessing that you have taken your time today to spend a little bit of time with us as we share with you the Word of God. This is Pastor Kip. It is definitely an honor to be able to speak with you today. And we would like for you to come and attend some of our services that we offer to the community at Living Water Worship Center. We're located at 58 Clyde King Drive in Bladenboro, North Carolina. Our Sunday morning services start at 10.30 a.m. And our Sunday evening worship service starts at 6 o'clock p.m. Our midweek service is offered to the public at 7 o'clock. And I believe that if you come, you'll find something that you never had before. It's our heartfelt prayer that today, as you listen to this broadcast, that you'll take away something brand new, something that you'll be able to apply in your life and overcome a situation, an obstacle that you've been trying to overcome for a while. And if you could find the mighty deliverance of Almighty God, and also that you will go away changed and not be the same person you were when you tuned in to our broadcast. Without any further ado, let's go on into our worship service already in progress, and may God bless you today is our prayer. Touch from you, and God, we ask, Lord, that you'll move to each and every one, and you will touch them. Father, we curse all the viruses that are out. Father, we ask, Lord, that you'll touch Tina as she is dealing with the kidney issue. Father, that you'll be with Elm and Tom, and Lord, that you'll give the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding to the surgeons and the cancer doctors to understand what is actually going on with Brother Tom. We bind any attempt of the enemy to try to keep it hidden. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that they'll come back with some good news. Father, now we name in the name of Jesus, we bring Pastor Sissy into your throne room tonight, Lord God. We pray, Lord, against the coronavirus, and now her coronavirus, according to the doctors, has turned over to pneumonia. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you'll send a fresh breath of fresh and living eternal life in this body, Lord, and that you'll strengthen her to where she'll be able to move forward. And God, that she'll come out of the bed and come back as powerful as before. Father, we speak to the heart of Brother John tonight, and we ask you, Lord, that you'll touch him, and Father, that you'll give him a catapult in that heart and straighten it out, Father, to where the pain will not be there any longer, and that he'll be able to return to normal in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for Brother Tim tonight, Lord God, not only for his physical condition, but his soulless condition, Lord God. Father, we hold him up to you. We know, Lord God, that you're working in that life. And, Father, we thank you that you're going to work with the surgeons to be able to bring about some dramatic and miraculous results in that situation. We give you the glory for it all before we see it because we know that you, your credit is good with us and that you will do what we ask. Tonight we come together believing in the name of Jesus Christ that what you have for us here in 2022 will be given unto us quickly. And, Father, tonight help us to our hearts, our souls, and our mind that we'll be ready to receive from you. And I'll give you the glory as we go forward in your service tonight and study your word tonight. Father, we pray for every heart to be open, every mind to be open, every spirit to be receptive. And Father, when all is said and done, we'll all say that it has been a good thing to have been in the house of the Lord in Jesus' name. Now go with us, anoint us, open us up. Father, help us, Lord, to learn in this hour, and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want you, if you will, to go tonight to the book of Joshua chapter 4. And from there, we're also going to be over to the book of Ephesians. 
Joshua chapter 4 and the book of Ephesians. I made the statement here a couple of services ago that there are two Old Testament books that you really need to know and you really need to understand very well as a Christian today. And the Old Testament books that you need to master and fully understand, number one is the book of Joshua, and number two is the book of Daniel. In the New Testament, there are also two books that are very important for you to understand. Uh, and, and it's very important for the church to understand the first one, and that is the book of Romans. I believe if that the entire church had a good revelation of the book of Romans, that a lot of the problems that the church deal with would be over with. But the second one is the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is the New Testament equivalent of the book of Joshua. I can't get away from the book of Joshua because this is a prophetic book for this time. This is a book that literally is paralleled with the book of Ephesians. And in order for us to stay afloat and be victorious in this day and this hour, the church has got to understand the doctrine that Apostle Paul set forth in the book of Ephesians. And in order to do that, sometimes it's very helpful to reach back into the Old Testament because everything was written in the Old Testament as a shadow of what was to come. And we've already discovered and, and shared with some that uh, Joshua is the English word for the word Jesus. Jesus is a Greek word. And Yeshua is the Hebrew word for Joshua. Joshua means the Lord is my salvation. So when you see the word stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, it's saying stand still and see Joshua or stand still and see Yeshua or stand still and see Jesus. And God has strategically placed this book at the fifth book in the Bible because the fifth, number five, simply means grace. It means blessing. It is the, the day that God spoke life on the earth to begin with. He spoke life into the animals and and uh, he blessed his creation on that day. So it's placed there strategically because God wants us to fully understand what is ours, what is ours, and where we can walk and what we can do. So tonight we're in Joshua chapter 4. I've already preached a little bit on this in one respect, in one aspect. Tonight I want to come back and really preach to you the doctrinal aspect of this or teach to you the doctrinal aspect of this. And then we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. So I just want you to look at your neighbor tonight and say, I am glad you're here. And I'm going to learn something tonight in Jesus' name. And let the church say amen. Joshua chapter 4, verse number 9. And the word of God said, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. I want you to underline that last sentence. And they are there until this day. That's got a strong meaning to us, and we'll explore that tonight. Verse 10 says, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan. Underline that. They stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished. Underline that too. They stood in the midst of Jordan until... Everything was finished. That the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. 
And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priest in the presence of the Lord of the people and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them and 40,000 prepared, about 40,000 prepared for war, passed over before the Lord in the battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testament that they should come up out of the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come you up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord would come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned into their place, and flowed over all his banks as they did before. Underline that. And the waters of Jordan returned into their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What meanest these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Now say amen. amen. I, want, I want you to see some things there. First off, there's two sets of 12 stones. We preached about the 12 stones that were carried out of the Jordan and put over in Gilgal. And we talked about that being a memorial and a remembrance of what God has done in the past. Tonight, we want to talk about the 12 stones that were left in the Jordan. I want you to notice there as well as I told you to underline that the priest walked out in the middle of the Jordan and they stood there in the Jordan until everything was finished. If you really understood that, you'd be shouting already right now. But tonight we want to go into that. So with that said, I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you how this comes together so that God can richly bless each and every one of you here tonight and God can move through us and give us the strength that we need to go forward in life. Amen. So tonight, God wants us to kind of look at our position in him, what was done and accomplished through Jesus Christ, and go back in the Old Testament and pull it together so that we can see why it is that we need to understand this. So number one, we can protest, protest. we can take over our promised land, possess our promised land, and we can be victorious in every fight that we ever have to fight. One of the problems in spiritual warfare is the way it's taught. Spiritual warfare gives many people the inclination that they have to fight, and that's true. You do have to fight, but before you can fight, you've got to know where you are. If you don't know where you are, you can fight all day long and you're going to lose the battle all the time. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1. 
It said, Paul and the apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, underline this, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and all prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are in earth, and even in him. I want you to look there. In Christ, there is a lot of things in heaven in Christ, and there is a lot of things in earth that is in Christ, and there is coming a time when God is going to gather everything that's in heaven and everything that's in earth together unto him in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to just look at your neighbor tonight and say, they are there to this day. Find another one say, I said they are there to this day. So the question is, what are they? We'll get to that in a little bit. But it's a very important thing for you to understand. I want to share with you something about the Church of Jesus Christ, something you need to understand. The Church of Jesus Christ is a militant church here on earth. But although we are here on earth, we are not here on earth. We are seated in a heavenly place. We are a militant church, but at the same time, we are sitting in heavenly places. And in order for you to be militant here on this earth, you've got to understand what position you occupy in the heavenly place. Because the promised land of Joshua is the heavenly places in Ephesians. In other words, the heavenly places is your inheritance, where the promised land was Israel's inheritance. And you have everything there is in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm at your disposal. Everything that is around the throne of God is at your disposal. I said everything that there is around God's throne is at your disposal. Every angel that there is, every demonic devil that there is, the devil himself is at your disposal. And everything that God has gave Jesus, Jesus in turn gave it to the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to show it to you if you will learn where you are in the heavenly realm. Amen. Now, the Bible says we are militant. Tell your neighbor out beside and say, you do have to fight. Now, let me give you a definition for the word militant. The word militant, according to our English language, language is meaning that it is a combative and an aggressive person in support of a political or a social cause. And it favors being confrontational and using confrontational methods that are considered by some to be extreme or even violence. 
Let me read that again to you. If you're a militant church, you are a combative person and you are aggressive because you support a political cause. And that political cause is the kingdom of God. Now it goes forward and it says, if you're militant, that you are confrontational. I want you to look at your neighbor right beside you and ask him to say, are you confrontational? Many Christians are not. They don't want no problems. They don't want no issues. They want everything to go with the flow. They don't want to confront nothing. They don't want to stir up a thing. But in order for you to fight and fight the way God wants you to fight, you got to learn that you are to be controversial and you are to be confrontational. Now, we got to understand something here when we look at that. As you use these confrontational methods, many people will think you're extreme or even that you're violent. And I believe today that the church has lost their calling simply because they refuse to be the militant church that God wants them to be. Now, that said, we cannot be a militant church if we don't understand the position that we have in Jesus Christ. If we don't find the position that we've got and understand that fully, you can't even fight. I want you to look at verse number 3 in Ephesians chapter 1 again. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. I want you to hear this as it's laid forward. And the Bible says in the Passion Translation, it says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus. All because when he sees us, he sees us wrapped up into Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. I want you to hear what it said there. It said that every blessing that there is in the spiritual heavenly realm has already been lavishly given unto you. It's already been given to you as a love gift from your Father. It is yours. I want everybody to just say it's mine. Now, we don't realize that. We don't live like that. We don't apply it. We don't use it. We got every answer we ever need up in heaven, and God has got it there for us. And a lot of times we are allowed to go through what we're going through because we will not exercise the right that we have in Jesus Christ to grab a hold of what we need in the heavenlies and pull it down here on this earth. And the reason why we're not being militant is because we don't know our position. But God in 2022 is going to begin to remind his children what position you got. Amen. So you are occupying a dual position. You, number one, is are in a position of conflict. You're going to have conflict every day. I want you to just look at that person right beside him and say, as long as you're in the world, you're going to have to face conflicts. There's not going to be a day that's going to be lovely without it. You're going to have conflict somewhere. It's always going to be there. There's no way around it. It is because of your nature that there is conflict because you do not go along with the world that God has allowed you to live in. And simply because you are not compatible with the world, you're going to always have conflict going on around you. Amen? Y'all with me today? Amen? So you have one position of conflict, and on the other flip side of that, you got a position of rest. So how in the world can you have a, a position of rest and be at peace, 
But at the same time, on the flip side of that, here you are in a position of conflict. So now you've got a position where you're fighting, and at the same time while you're fighting, you're at peace. How in the world can you be at peace with Katrina and turn around and still be in a conflict with her at the same time? That's kind of hard to fathom in your mind, amen? But that is the position that the Christian church has got. Number one, you have a position of rest. And number two, you live in a position of conflict. So in order for you to survive and live this book out and to be able to have Jesus and Father, our Father God look at us and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, you must understand that you're going to exist in some conflict and peace at the same time. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, I don't understand that all this trouble's happening over here, but on the inside, I just feel like everything's all right. Anybody ever felt like that before? That's the conflict I'm talking about. That's the peace I'm talking about. And God done something here that he really wants us to break out. So it's important for us to understand that although we have that position of conflict and the position of rest, that we're at the, the position of rest that I talk about precedes the position of conflict. In order for you to go to conflict, you must first experience a position of rest. If you don't experience the position of rest, it is indispensable for you to experience the position of rest before you ever step out to go and fight the conflict. Let me explain to you what conflict means. Conflict means that you are incompatible or at variance with something, that you clash with something. Because of what God has done in your life, you clash with some of the entertainment that there is out in the world system. Let me rephrase that. All of the entertainment that there is out in the world system. Amen? Amen. Because of what God done in you, you clash with the people that are high on alcohol because you're high on the most high. Y'all with me tonight? Amen? Amen? So you are in a position, first off, you've got to get secure a position of rest before you can step out on the battlefield. And what is going on in spiritual warfare is we're telling people, get on out there and fight, get on out there and fight, but we ain't got them at rest in Jesus Christ yet. So what God is trying to do in the church here is he's trying to get us to realize that we first of all have got to find peace with God before we step out and we begin to fight for God. You cannot fight a battle for the Lord without some peace on the inside of you. How many would agree with that tonight? Amen. Because when you're out there fighting, you're constantly going to be in a clashing state. Even when you're winning the battle, you're still going to clash. You're still going to be incompatible with the world system. You can't literally live in the world system without that compatibleness or that incompatibility simply because God made it that way because God wants you to depend on him 100%. Am I helping anybody yet tonight? Amen. But listen now. The moment your pardon is signed by God, your eternal judge, and your peace is procured, the minute God signs your pardon and said, you are my child and I forgive you of everything that you've ever done and everything you ever will do, the minute he signs that, that's when your conflict begins. So if you are believing that you're going to give your heart to the Lord and your whole life is going to straighten up immediately, I got news for you, it ain't going to happen. If you think 
that you're going to get yourself straight first, yourself personally straight before you stand up and give your heart to the Lord. That ain't never going to happen. You will not get yourself straight. It don't matter how hard you try. It don't matter how good you become. It don't matter how much money you give away. It don't matter how many times you come to the church. It don't matter how many sermons you hear in your life. You are not going to secure peace with God with your own works. You got to go before God and get him to sign your pardon, accept him in your life, and get it peace with you and God first and once you get at peace with you and God the conflict then will begin if you think you have found a battle up to the point in time that you give your heart 100% to the Lord you ain't found a battle yet your mind is fixing to get blown because the minute you give your heart to the Lord you're going to be in conflict you're going to be incompatible and until you realize your position in Christ, you'll never reign above that conflict. That conflict will destroy your faith. That conflict will come against you. That conflict will wear you out. That conflict will make you miss what God wants you to have. That conflict will get your focus so wrapped up in what's going around on you that you never see what's happening in the heavenlies. But if you've got your peace in mind with God and God has signed your pardon, it don't matter what happens down here. You're vertically focused between you and God and all you know that in your life is that everything here is going to pass away because you're fixing to pass over. And when God gets you to that level, that's when you can walk into your promised land and you can walk out victorious, dispossess every giant that there is in it, raise up your sword, raise up your spear, go down into the very pit where there's a lion at and defeat him and walk victorious in the power of Almighty God. But first off, you've got to secure your peace before you ever start fighting the, the, the battle with God, for God. Amen. So the minute you get your heart right with the Lord and God signs your pardon... Welcome conflict in your life because it's coming. So just smile at that right beside me and say, Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. We're going to have trouble. Why? Because you're incompatible. You do not go in line. You're not falling in line with the system of this world. Things don't go right with you. You look at the way some people are living. You can't put your stamp of approval on homosexuality. You can't put your stamp of approval on an open marriage where people can go out and go with any person they want to go to. You can't go and put your stamp of approval on anything that don't line up with what's done in the Word of Almighty God because the Word of God, once you find your peace with God, is written in your spirit, and now you got your spirit warring against your flesh and your soul all day every day Amen. that's why you need to be in church as much as you can Amen. because the people out in the world don't understand this that's why your radio should be on somebody that's teaching you how you're going to survive that's why you need to have a library full of books where you're studying. That's why you need to know how to study this word. That's why you need to have Christian friends. That's why you need to be able to make some Christian telephone call. You're not going to make it by yourself. Because this battle will wipe you out if you don't understand your position. You better realize that you ain't an island left to yourself. You better realize that the battle that you're fighting, you first off has got to get peace with God and get it level between you and him before you can get it straight this way. So you've got to change your focus. Push that beside me. So you've got to change your focus tonight now. It's got to get off of what's around here, and you've got to put your mind on you and God. 
Now, what I want to share with you, and boy, I've talked a long time already and ain't got no further. But what I want you to understand is that as you are incompatible in this world, that new character on the inside of you is opposed to your old character. And God done something for you. There's two problems men have. Only two. Everybody just say only two. Number one, the sins you have committed. Number two, the sin nature that lives in you. Now I want to write that down. The sins you have committed and the sin nature that lives in you. Now God has a prescription and a remedy for both. Number one, the prescription that God has applied to the sins that you have committed is the blood of Jesus Christ. And once they are applied to it, it is offered up to God and it satisfies every sin that you will ever commit in your life. And the other problem, sin nature that lives in you that you inherited from Adam, God has a prescription for that. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So you must accept the blood of Jesus Christ and you must see what the cross of Jesus Christ does for you. That wasn't part of the sermon. I just thought I'd throw that in there for that. Oh, that's pretty good, Amy. The truth of the matter is you cannot live with the old you and the new you at the same time. You can't do it. You're either going to have to serve God or you're going to have to serve mammon. You can't hold on to the old John and try to live the new John. You're either going to live the new John or you're going to live the old John. There ain't no playing around with it. You can't hold on to the world with one hand and God with the other hand. You can't give God your whole life and still use your mouth the way you want to use it. You can't give your whole life to the Lord and still use your body and your time and your talent the way you want to use it. You'll never be able to live in peace with and in harmony between you and your new man and your old man. So God's telling us that we've got to be delivered. Now, you have a position of an assured pardon. God has promised you, I will pardon you. I will forgive you for every error. I'll forgive you for every offense. And I will do that there the minute that you come to me. And he describes that in the book of Ephesians. And he causes it the heavenly places. He said, that is your promised land. That is your assured pardon. The minute you get your assured pardon, I'm going to translate you from the kingdom of hell and I'm going to put you in the kingdom of my dear son in the heavenly places. So although you have your feet here in the wilderness of this earth, you don't live here. You live in the heavenly realm. You're in the spiritual realm. You walk after the spirit and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The more you fulfill the lust of the flesh, you're trying to get along with the old man and get along with the new man at the same time, and it will never be able to be fruitful in your life. Amen. So Paul uses heavenly places five different times in the book of Ephesians. I want to read them to you. You flip over there with me and look at them. We saw it in verse number three. It said, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Look down at verse number 20. He goes on, he says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Where's Jesus at right now? Sitting on the right hand of the Father on his throne up in the heavenly place in the spiritual world. 
Look at the next third, the third time that he used it in verse number six of chapter number two, where Paul said this. He said, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I sit with Jesus. Tell another say, I'm his right hand man. You are occupying a position up in heaven in Jesus Christ and you have a throne and you sit up in the heavenly realm because of what Jesus done. Although you're here on this earth, you are occupying your promised land up in the spiritual world and everything, 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 everything that Jesus has power over, you got power over it. It's time for the church to start acting that way and start declaring it and to start living it. Amen. It is a gift from the Lord. God gave it to you. Everybody just hold on and say, God gave it to me. Now it's up to you whether you receive it or not. I can have every gift up here, a gift up here for every one of y'all tonight and tell you it's up here for you to come get it, but you got to get up out of your chair and you got to come up here and you got to take it. And once you open it up and receive it, you got to learn how to use it. So slap that beside and say, learn how to use it. Boy, I'm preaching pretty good there. Amen. Verse number 10 of chapter 3, he uses it again. He says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Look at your neighbor right beside him and say, You're teaching all the angels and all the devils what God wants them to know. Mm, boy, that's something wonderful, isn't it? Amen. Let's go to another one that he talked to you on in chapter 6, verse number 12. Look what he said there in chapter number six. I'll give you time to flip over there real quick. He said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places or heavenly places. So in the heavenly realm, you have God the Father and all of the Zoa creatures that surround him, the four living beasts that surround him, everything that's around his throne. Then you have Jesus. Then you have you. And every person that has lived here on this earth that accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they are there. You are sitting there with the 12 apostles. You are sitting there with Grandma that made it to heaven. You are sitting there with Granddaddy that made it to heaven. You are there sitting in heaven there. And every principality, every power, every ruler of darkness, and every spirit of wickedness that there is is in the heavenly realms, and you are set far above every one of them. Everybody say far above. far above. So if you reign far above from them, the question becomes, why is it that they whipping your butt? Why are they taking you out? If you've got the power, why is it that the devil's whipping the daylights out of you with it? Now the Greek word there for uh, heavenly places is the Greek word eparanios. You ain't got to spell that. It's a compound Greek word, though. The first word is epi, and in there it means up or on. And then the second one, uranos, means up or on heaven. It's an adjective. And what it's doing is it's describing everything that's in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm. So when God says you are sitting with Jesus up on heavenly realm, in the heavenly realm, sitting with him, then everything in the spiritual realm you have around you at this time. 
right there sitting beside of you. There is a principality sitting right beside of you tonight. There is a ruler of darkness sitting right there beside of you tonight. There is a spirit of wickedness sitting right there beside of you tonight. There are things in the spiritual world that are there that you don't see. Every holy angel that there is up in heaven is sitting right beside of you tonight. If a loved one died and went to heaven, they hadn't left you. They still with you and they are ministering to you on a daily basis. They are there in the spiritual heavens and they are looking out for you. That would make somebody happy right there. Amen. Now the heavenly place is the place of God's throne where all the good and the evil spirits exist. And the Bible says, Paul says, that we have been blessed with all spiritual or all supernatural blessings and he tells us they are located in the spiritual realm. Everybody say this, everything I need is right around me. You need a million dollars, it's right there. You need your healing, it's right there. There you go, let's go get it. You need a brand new house, it's right there. You need deliverance, it's right there. You need power, it's right there. It's just like you go down to the IGA and you take your little shopping cart and you go through each row and you pick out what you want and what you need. Now, if you don't know how to cook potato salad, then you don't go and get a bunch of potatoes and throw them up there and then expect for it just to come together. <laughs> Amen. I'm not the best baker in the world, but I can make a Duncan Hines Tennessee cake. But if I need to make one from scratch, boy, I'm not going to go buy some eggs and flour and all this stuff because I don't know how to do all that stuff. <laughs> So the reason why we don't walk in it is because we don't spend the time to learn how to put these ingredients together. Amen. They're in the spiritual realm. They're there for you in God's supermarket. You can get it. And the good thing about it is that there ain't a bill you got to pay for it. It's already been gave to. Amen. Everything in God's heavenly IGA is yours. It's already paid for. It's sitting on the shelf. All you got to do is go get it and get it in your cart. Walk out with it. Learn how to use it and use it. Is that helping anybody here tonight? Amen. So what Aunt Janet's been teaching you and what the church here has been teaching you is what you've got to do to be able to apply this to your life. So God wants to help us out a whole lot. Amen. All right, now listen. The specific location of your blessings in the heavenly realms, you have it in the heavenly realms. Now I'm going to tell you where you're going to find it at. It's not just sitting out there in the heavenly somewhere. It's at a specific location. Just like the IGA down yonder is at a specific location. If Chair wanted to go get him some flyer from the IGA, he wouldn't be riding to Dublin to get him some flyer. He'd be driving right down there to Bladenboro and walking on the shelf and getting him some flyer out of the IGA because it's in a specific location in that store. And what you, every blessing you've got is in one location in heavenly realm. One location. Everybody I'll say one location. Well, I'm helping a whole lot of people if you'll get this tonight. Is in Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. Everything you will ever need is in Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus is now set it in the spiritual realm above all spiritual forces, and he's at the right hand of the throne of God in the place of authority and honor. I want you to look at what it says there in chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. I love the book of Ephesians, by the way. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Verse 4 says, But God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
Even when we were dead in sins, underline this, he has quickened us together with Christ, and by grace you are saved. Verse 6 says, and he's raised us up together. Underline that, raised us up together. And, underline this, he made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness through him. Now, there's three stages of your blessings right there. Three stages. And I want to give you those three stages tonight. Number one, the first stage of your blessing there is that you have been quickened together with Jesus Christ. The word quickened means you've been made alive again. If you've been made alive, it bears in mind to you that you had to die. So turn to your neighbor tonight and look at him and say, did you know my old man is dead? And if you'd answer that question right, you'd probably have to say, no, they don't know that because I don't know that. Because I let the old man use my mouth every now and again. I let the old man use my ears a whole lot. I let the old man use my eyes a whole lot. But if something's dead, he ain't coming back no more. So look at your neighbor and say, my old man is dead. Now ask that one right beside him and say, when did you have the funeral? Now, it's one thing to know your old man is dead, but it's time for some of us to have the funeral. It's time for some of us to boo-hoo about that there and get rid of it. Amen. So the first stage that you have is found in verse number five of your blessing is that God has made you alive again in Jesus Christ. The second stage is found in verse number six where it said he raised you up again together. He raised you up. Look at your neighbor right beside you and say, not only is my old man dead, I'm alive still in a new way. So you died with Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You were crucified with him. You were taken off that cross. You were carried to a tomb. You were put in that tomb in Jerusalem. And for three days you went down into the very deepest parts of hell and you looked before the devil in his eyes and said, I want the key to death, hell, and the grave. And you came back up and on the second stage you came up out of the grave, a brand new creature. Everything that's old is dead. Everything that's old is passed away. Everything that's history in your life is over with. Your past is not alive anymore. It's dead. It has nothing to do with you. That's the old you. You don't live anymore you got a brand new person inside of you now. Amen. Amen. Now look at verse number six. And then he said, after you were resurrected, you were, he made us to sit together in heavenly places. So the old man died on the cross, went in the grave, went down to hell, came back up to the grave, and then ascended up to heaven and sat down right beside of God. And you are sitting there. Now, I want you to notice something. Every one of these verbs in those three stages, they in the aorist tense in the Greek language, and that means it was done once and for all. It's over with. It ain't never going to be done again. It's over with. The old man's history, the new man's been born again. You have been ascended up to heaven, and you sit in the heavenly places. God has done everything for you he's ever going to do. Can I say that again? God has done everything for you that he's ever going to do. 
Now he wants to teach you how to use everything he's done for you. Y'all hearing me now, amen? So Paul uses the resurrection language to describe to us those three languages. That is, uh, and the aorus tense meaning it's already done. What it means is, is everybody that has received the spirit of Christ, everybody that's received it has been made spiritually alive. You have been raised up out of spiritual death and you have been seated with Jesus Christ in the spiritual realm and you are sitting at the right hand of Jesus Christ and you got everything that you need at your disposal. You are in that position permanently. Permanently. If you ever were put there, you're going to be there because you're in Christ. And the way to get rid of you would be to get rid of Christ. And you can't get rid of Jesus Christ. Now, there ain't no man that can pluck you out of his hand. God's the only one that can pluck you out of his hand, but you can crucify him afresh. And when you crucify him afresh, you can lose your salvation. But you are permanently in Jesus Christ. There will come a time in your life that God will draw a line in you and say, who's God, me or you? And if you answer you, then you crucify and trample the blood of Jesus Christ under you again, and that is the unpardonable sin. God will not forgive you for that. But as long as you do not commit the unpardonable sin, you permanently live and dwell in the heavenly realm. Am I helping anybody tonight? Amen. But being in the heavenly places describe the actual condition that every child of God has in the new birth. Being in the heavenly places describes every member of the bride of Christ and what they have by being in union with Jesus Christ. And being in the heavenly places explains to you every new living soul, not the old soul, but the living soul, by virtue of the resurrection, you're already placed in heavenly realm. You are a spiritual person. The person that I minister to is not your flesh. The person, that's why, if I minister to your flesh right now, with the way some of y'all look sometimes, boy, I tell you what, I never preach to some of y'all again. Amen. But I minister to your spirit, and God ministers to your spirit, and God has placed you there forever. I want you to understand this because the book of Joshua has a lot to do with this, and you need to understand it. You are in a heavenly place in the sight of God, and all the angels are under your feet, but yet you still live here on this earth. It's just like this. It was painted through the, the nation of Israel. Israel was out in the wilderness, and they were here on this earth. But Aaron had the white robe, the ephod with 12 stones in it symbolizing Israel, and that ephod stayed on him, and it was into the breastplate. And he would be in the tabernacle. So as the people lived out in the wilderness, he would be in the tabernacle doing heavenly things. So God was sharing with us that you're going to always have that dual position until God comes to get you. You're going to be in a state of rest and in a state of conflict. You're going to experience the spiritual blessings of God, but you're still going to have to fight to keep them. You're going to have every blessing you ever need in your life, but the devil's going to try to get you to doubt that you got them and that you're going to have to be able to use them. And you're going to have to be able to grab them and learn how to take them from the heavenly realm and apply them down here. Am I helping anybody? Amen. Amen. So 
Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. I want to show you something. This is going to mean something to you in just a little bit. Colossians 3, 3, if you got it, say amen. I'll let everybody see it. You need to see it in black and white. Verse 3. It says, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I want everybody here to say tonight, I am dead. Look at your neighbor and say, you're dead. You're dead. Turn around to the other side. I said, you're dead. you're dead. Now, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you, Moses was dead. Now I'm coming in front of you and I'm telling you, you're dead. Now, notice what that last, that last sentence in that verse said. It says, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. How many's had a, a loved one that's passed away? Amen. What did you do with that loved one when they passed away? You done what? You agree? What else? Done what? Tried to turn them loose. That's grieving. What else? You done what? You buried them. So today, although you got up this morning... That loved one's gone. They are hid from you. You'll never see them again because they're where at? In the grave. So that's what God is saying. God is saying there, he says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. In other words, you're buried. You're dead and buried. So everybody just say, to say I'm dead and buried. Now, there's a second meaning of that there, too, that your life, your, your eternal life, your new life is hid in Jesus Christ. And the more you get into Christ, the more the devil will not be able to see you. The deeper you get into Christ, the devil can't get into you because he's not in Christ. He's outside of Christ. The deeper you get into Christ, the devil will never be able to send a demonic devil into your house or inside of your body and to take sin any sickness in you. The deeper you get in with Christ, the more you're going to feel the delivering power of Almighty God. The devil can't come close to you because you are hidden in Jesus Christ but it literally means here you're dead and I buried you in Jesus Christ y'all with me tonight amen so you got to apprehend all these spiritual blessings if you're going to walk the holy walk and you're going to fulfill your vocation and you're going to take your promised land and you're going to walk in it amen you got to know your position because when you know your position that's when you understand your privileges oh there's two of my aunts sitting right there, and they love me. I know they do. Sometimes they don't understand me, but they love me. And I'm sure if I went to them today and said, hey, I really need this, they would help me because I am in the family, if they could. And a lot of times they would say, well, I'm going to help him, not because of him. I'm going to help him because of grandma, or I'm going to help him because his mama is my sister. He don't deserve no help, but I'm going to help him because his mama was my sister. You got me now. So, let me stop there because the Lord wants me to bring out something. I, I love this. I'm about ready to shout already up here. When you understand your position, that's when you understand your privileges. Now, John don't have the same privilege that I got with Janice Wright and with Linda Paul. 
They love him. They think a lot of him, and they would try to help him if they could. But possibly they would not hurt themselves to help John because his position is not in the Dove family. You got me now. Yeah, don't look at him like they're crazy. It's the truth. You know you're going to help your child if you can possibly help your child, and you're going to help your family if you can't. That's the point I'm trying to make. You see, I know that I got that privilege. I could go to him at any time, and I say, hey, I need this. And because they love me and I'm in that position, it ain't going to be because I'm great or wonderful or I'm their favorite nephew or anything like that. They're going to help me sometimes just because mama was their sister. You got me now, Amen. Now, they might help me once. They might help me twice. They might even help me a hundred times. But when they realize that I'm abusing the privilege of being Peggy Nance's boy and using their position to better myself, that's when they might get the idea that I'm using them and they ain't going to have nothing else to do with me. So although you got that position, you got to understand you do not abuse your privilege. Anybody ever had a child that abused their privilege? This tonight. Now, so many Christians today fall simply because they don't <laughs> understand their position and they don't understand their privilege. Because when you understand your position, you learn, I don't frustrate grace. When you understand your position, you begin to learn, hey, I can write and add and decree anything in the name of Jesus Christ and it shall be done. When you understand your position, you understand my mouth has got power. So when I look at Ben and say, Ben, you crazy. My mouth, my mouth has power and my word can make Ben crazy. Are you hearing me now? When I understand my position, I understand my privilege. If I am a son of a king, then I've got the privilege of a king's son, and I am the priest, and I can have anything I want. Oh, Lord, I wish I could help some people. Amen. Exodus in the Bible shared with us and showed us the people of God was saved by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, going out of the world of Egypt and Egyptian bondage and coming out of the world and being made to serve God. The book of Leviticus begins to unfold us the priestly character of God and the priestly character of the redeemed and how they're going to have to live as uh, in true service, the nature they're going to have to have. <laughs> then the book of Numbers began to explain that our wanderings and our sins, and then Deuteronomy comes into us and shares with us the, the will of God, and he also shows the conduct that we're going to have to ensue and, and, and employ in our life to live in our promised land. Then Joshua carries us into the position of our promised land by faith and begins to show us all the blessings of the promised land. Joshua came into the promised land and he sent out spies and the men came there and the two men carried a cluster of grapes. I want you to get a revelation of these grapes. Two men grabbed a hold of some grapes and it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes. I haven't been to the grocery store and bought a bag of grapes. Do you need two people to carry them grapes? These grapes were such a blessing that it took two people to carry these things back. I'm here to tell you I'm ready to send them grateful blessings from Almighty God. Amen. 
I'm ready for some of them big old blessings. It's going to take me and Betty and, and, and Kier and Katrina all to carry it all at one time. What's in your spiritual realm, what's in your promised land, what's in the heavenly places is greater than you can imagine. It's not even entered into the hearts of man, into the imagination of man, what God has planned for you. If you can't get it in your mind, there ain't nothing that's impossible with God. There ain't nothing impossible with you. If there ain't nothing impossible with Jesus Christ, you can turn your world around on a dime. You can change it in a heartbeat. You've got to get this, church. You are reigning in heavenly places and applying it here on this earth. And the reason why your life is in disarray is because you don't know what position you got and what privilege you have. Many of us think the minute we get sick, the privilege we got is to run to the doctor. Some of y'all are paying medical bills right now because instead of seeking God to save you and to heal you, you run to the doctor and they cut up all on you and cause more damage than they did good. The Lord revealed this to me one time and I was sitting there and I was watching a commercial, Mary. And they said, take this pill for your high blood pressure. And then the man came on talking. He said, if you take this and you're going to have this and 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 this. And he talked for about 20 minutes of everything that you could possibly have wrong with you. And I said, my God. Taking one pill to handle one problem brings in 105. Why in the world do I want a doctor to give me something that's going to make me worse? I'm going to go to the doctor that can straighten it out. I'm going to quit running to that privilege to run out there to the doctor. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong to go to the doctor. Sometime you may have to. But I'm saying you got a privilege to go into the throne room of heaven and to bow down before God and say through the stripes of Jesus Christ that he took, I am proclaiming my healing. I want it off of that grocery shelf and I want to learn how to apply in my life so I can live that way. Amen. So. Joshua begins to share with you how you take your promised land. It also shares with you how you go into your rest and enter into your rest in the Canaan, in your promised land. And it also tells you how you got to fight inch by inch against the inhabitants of your promised land. If you think that living for the Lord is an easy life, it's not. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. If you think walking in your promised land and having the victory of the Lord is easy, it's not. But if you're that person that loves a fight, if you catch yourself watching wrestling on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and you just love to watch boxing and you love a fight, then God wants you and he needs you because he needs a militant church. God has put that there in you because he wants you. Amen. Now go back to Joshua chapter 4 and let me show you how these stones play into play. Verse 9 of Joshua 4, and I'll hurry tonight. How many of you have learned some things by coming to church tonight? If you have, say amen already. When you have Joshua 4 again, verse 9, say amen. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan. Underline that, in the middle of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood. And those 12 stones are there unto this day. Everybody say they're there unto this day. Say it again. Say they're there unto this day. Then say they're out of sight. Say they're hidden forever. 
What does that mean to you? What do these stones mean to you? Twelve stones represented all of Israel. Why is it that the stones were laid there in the middle of Jordan? Why is it even to this day they're still unseen? Why is it to this day that they attract no attention? Why is it to this day that they're deep in the middle of Jordan? Why is it to this day that they're far from the light of day? Light of day, they never see it. Why is it that they're out of sight and seemingly out of mind? Why is it that God told Joshua, while the priests are standing in the middle of the river of Jordan, I want you to go out there and put a monument of 12 stones in the middle of Jordan. And then he said, when the priests come out of Jordan, I'm going to return the water, and those stones will be there until this day. <clears throat> Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I want you to notice, all 12 tribes of Israel went down into the Jordan. And all 12 tribes... Of, Jordan, of Israel went through and crossed over Jordan. They left the wilderness, went down into the Jordan, and crossed over into the promised land. While they were crossing over, the priests stood in one spot for a long time. In fact, it was three hours as they held this Ark of the Covenant that wore them out. But as they stood there, Joshua Four priests holding the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua the fifth went and got 12 stones and at their feet built a monument and then told them to go ahead and carry it over after everybody's went there. I want you to notice that number five. Four priests and one leader or one other priest, Joshua. Five, the five offices of the church. Five, the five offices of the church that Jesus brought into his body. Why is it that it's there? Why is it that they've got to remain there? How many of you remember that I told you that the river of Jordan in Hebrew literally means the river of judgment? How many of you remember that? So here they are standing in the river of judgment. And the pit, all of Israel is going through and they're crossing over. And now they're going into the promised land. Why is it that these rocks has got to be covered with water? And from that point on, nobody will ever see them. Well, when Uncle Obi died, Aunt Janice carried him to a graveyard and buried him. And physically, here on this earth, she won't see him again. So this is speaking of death. They've got to be buried there. Twelve came out of the Jordan and was set up in Gilgal as a brand new life. Psalm 31 and 12 says this. It says, I am forgotten like a dead man. This is the psalm that Jesus said on the cross. He said, I am forgotten like a dead man and I'm out of mind. What he's telling you is you are buried with Christ. Not only that, in Galatians chapter 1 verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live. But yet the life that I live, I'm not living that life. It is Jesus that is living that life through me. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I was killed 2,000 years ago. 
Now, that's hard for people to understand. Colossians 2 and 12 says you were buried with him by baptism. So, what God is telling you is this is symbolic of your death. In other words, there is an end of you being a sinner in the eyes of God. Yes, you are a sinner, but you are saved by grace. And when you are saved by grace, the sinner is done. He's dead. He's put in the grave. The waters of the, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ, the water of, of, of sanctification comes in over it, covers it. Light of day is never seen again. He's buried. He's in the grave. You've got to allow him to lay in the grave and stay in the grave. And before God, it is out of sight. It's out of mind. God throws it into the sea of forgetfulness, and all your sins are there in the Jordan to this day. Every sin you have ever committed was buried in Jordan. Every sin you will ever commit is buried right there in Jordan. It was buried because Jesus carried it down into the grave, fulfilling the same thing. And everything you were up to that time in Adam, God killed you and put you in the grave, and he buried you and literally done an end to you. Are y'all with me tonight? Amen. Just like when God looked at the antediluvian uh, flood of Noah, he said, the heart of man is evil and wicked continually. I repent that I even made him. In other words, God is saying, everything you were up until the day that you entered into my kingdom by faith, I can't use it. I don't care if you were gifted. I don't care if you could stand in front of people and talk. I don't care if you had all this money. Everything you were at that point is over with. There's an end of that sinner. It's over with because I buried the old creation in the Noah's flood, and I'm going to bury your old creation in the river of Jordan. So the question comes in tonight, do you accept this? Do you really accept this? You know, I don't believe we do. You know why? <laughs> because there's a bunch of people that's dressing themselves up trying to do better. Trying to live better. Trying to talk better. Trying to quit this habit. Trying to overcome. Trying not to cuss no more. Trying not to get mad no more. Trying to be at peace all along. Oh, I, oh I'm in business. Try not to gossip no more. <laughs> try not to be the news bulletin for Bladesboro. We're trying to live better. We're trying to come to church more than we've ever come. We're trying to get involved in the church. We're trying to get involved. We're trying to read our Bible. We're trying to pray more. <laughs> Am I helping anybody yet? Amen. We're trying to get along with our husband. We're trying to get along with our wife. We're trying to forgive our brother. We're trying to get over the hurt that mother so-and-so does. We're trying to live right. And we say we accepted that the works of the law, Moses is dead, and now we're dead. So if Moses is dead and you are dead, why do you have to try anymore? Amen. If you accept it, you walk in it. Mm -hmm. 
every time you try to clean that mouth up, every time you try to live better, you're taking that old, ugly, nasty, corrupt, deceitful Stanley Braddock, setting him up in the house and putting makeup all over him, dressing him up and setting him up, and it looks like a weekend at Stan Braddock's house, like on a weekend at Bernie's, and you're walking around with old dead corpse on you, trying to get him to fit in to a world that God said he's dead from. Every time you try to do better, you just pulling that grave, opening up that corpse in the grave and pulling him out of the casket and saying, okay, let's go to town. And I'm going to tell you what, some of us in our Christian living, it stinks <laughs> in the eyes of God. Because that corpse has been dead a long time. How long have you been saved? 30, 40 years. So she's 70 some years old. So, so she's got two babies. One's 30 years old, the other one's 40 years old. And I don't know which one I'm going to meet today. <laughs> Am I going to come in contact with this old nasty, stinking, deceitful, corrupt, dead, corpse, mummified for the last 40 years? Or I'm going to find a new baby <laughs> that knows and accepts the fact that everything she was at the day and the hour that she gave her heart to the Lord is still buried in Jordan. Which one am I going to meet? Because every time you try to do better, you're resurrecting that corpse up out of the grave. I'm going to try not to cuss Mary out when she makes me mad the next time. <laughs> resurrecting that there corpse right up out of the grave. I'm going to try not to slap Katrina upside the head when she gets mouthy again. <laughs> And see, I'm bringing all this up because the devil will try to make you think that he's still alive. Because you got so used to him or her <laughs> while you were living out in the world. You got used to reacting that way. Some people get used to being depressed or used to being a victim. And when they're used to being a victim, it's hard to deliver them from being a victim. They've got to accept the fact, hey, I'm dead. Not only am I dead, Moses is dead. I'm dead, but yet I'm still alive. But hey, it ain't the life that's living, that I'm living. It's not me living it. It's Jesus living that life through me. You will never live the Christian life no matter how hard you try. That's the reason why there's a bunch of people in the church you call a hypocrite because they don't understand this. They don't understand this. If you fully understood this, and they fully understood this, everybody quit trying, and they let Jesus live the life through them. And when it's time for church, Jesus says, it's time for church. Let's go. Well, I don't feel real good. Let's go. It's time for prayer. Jesus say, I'm ready to pray. Let's pray. Let's go. Let's go. And you'll be right there with them. In the Bible, I shared with you Sunday morning, if you are a servant of God, you will find yourself where Jesus is. Jesus said, where I am, my servant will be. So every time, Rose tries to not slap Ben upside the head. 
She is going in the graveyard and she is digging up that old ugly, nasty looking corpse and bringing it up to anybody's grave. Now, let me share it with you. If you do that, what happens in the house? Ain't nobody want to be around the dead for a long time. Do you want to live at the funeral home? Does anybody here love the funeral home? No. So the minute Rose raises up old Rose out of the grave, Ben leaves the house. Am I, am I preaching the truth? Amen. When Ben's out there digging up old Ben, Rose said, well, I'll let him act stupid like that if he wants to. I'm leaving him for a while. Nobody wants to be around a bunch of dead corpses. I definitely don't want to be around something other dressed up to make something other look different than what it actually truly is. You know, I made a statement one time. I said, that woman's a pretty woman. She walked into the church one time without any makeup on. I said, Lord, I might have to take that back. <laughs> Dressed up sometimes to make it look different than what it really truly is. It's not going to get you your promised land. <laughs> you have been placed up in heaven with Jesus Christ. You are at peace with God. God looks at you in a justified attention. The word justified means just if I had never sinned. God looks at you with a clean slate. Clean. You are exactly where God wants you to be at right now. You are not trying to get better. You ain't got to commit to the fact that everybody, well, I ain't where I should be, but I'm trying. That's the problem with the devil's got us trying when God said, you're already there. And if you'll just get there and put the devil under your feet, the devil will go to scream, just literally shaking and screaming under your voice simply because he knows that God has resurrected you and brought you up as a new creation and placed you over him. And the reason why we're not walking victorious is because them stones in the Jordan are not still there to today because Katrina's went on a swimming expedition. <laughs> Mary has dozed off the top of the mountain and went down to the ocean to get one little stone out of it and cleave to it for the rest of her life. Everybody say they're there to this day. Turn to your neighbor and say they're there to this day. I don't care how stupid they act from here on out to treat her sin. They're over with. They're there to this day. When we can understand that, when we finally get that, boy, let me tell you something. We're going to have revival in this house. When you ever get that there, then any miracle that you want is going to show up. Any delivering power of God that you want is going to show up. Any angel from God that you need in here is going to show up. The Holy Ghost is going to be in here so thick that you can't hardly cut him with a knife. If you can ever get that, the power of God will rest on you and hell will understand that you know where you are and what privilege you got. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. There ain't nothing that I can't do in the name of Jesus Christ. I am in that position. It's been done. It was done 2,000 years ago. I ain't got to ask Janice to pray me there. I'm already there. I've made it there. I am exactly where God wants me to be. 
And when I can accept that, God will get me where I need to be here on this earth. So just tap that right beside and say, quit swimming. You got to quit going to the graveyard and digging up that corpse. Now some of us, I'm a hush, but some of us got so good decorating that corpse. He's mighty pretty. I remember being at the funeral home not long ago. They opened up the casket, looked at the person and the person said, man, that's the best he's ever looked in his whole life. I thought to myself, I said, man, some people do know how to make stuff look good. I said, but it don't change the fact what he looks like. He did. He ain't coming back. And if they don't soon carry him to the grave, he's going to stink up this whole place. <laughs> if you don't soon have your funeral and carry that dead corpse to the grave, you're going to stink up living water so bad I couldn't preach to you if I wanted to. <laughs> I heard two stories here. I just right here. Paul said this. He said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? See, what happened when you were guilty of breaking the law in the book of Romans, and it was a, a death sentence that they put on you? They took a dead corpse, and they tied it to your body. <coughs> and you live the rest of your life with a dead corpse on the back of your body. You went to sleep with a dead corpse on the back of your body. You ate with a dead corpse on the back of your body. You lay down in the bed with your wife and she lay with you with a dead corpse on the back of your body. You went to church or the tabernacle with a dead corpse on the back of your body. You couldn't have done any of that because that's unclean. They would throw you out. So they threw you outside the camp and you were set there to fend for your own self with a dead corpse on your body. Now, if a dead corpse is on your body, and it goes to rotting and stinking and flies come to it and crawl all over it and lay its eggs all over it and the maggot starts crawling in it and all that stuff. Do you think you're going to live long? See, that's how disgusting our flesh is and the old creation was. And the more you strap it to your back, the more it will destroy your new man. So Paul says, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, praise God, Jesus has already Amen. done it. So I'm here to submit to y'all tonight. Jesus has already delivered you. You are where God wants you to be. Exactly where God wants you to be. And if you'll start living that way, acting that way, walking that way, then God will point you every day and say, your sins are buried to this day. They're buried to see of forgetfulness. I'll never open up the light on them again. I'll never roll the water away from them. You won't never be able to find them. I pray tonight that the next time you take that big dive off of that there mountain to go down there to get that stone, that you won't be able to find it. I pray that you'll lose the physical vision that you've got to find the sin that you still want to live with in your life. I pray that God will remind you every day, you are dead, Moses is dead, I raised you up brand new. Mm -hmm. 
For many years, Kier, I would not let nobody call me Kip. Well, I hated him. I knew who Kip was. And I didn't want nobody to call me Kip. My name was Kenneth or Kenny. And if you called me Kip, I would tell you in a heartbeat, don't ever call me that no more. But God delivered me from that because he said, although Kip is dead, you got your focus on how bad Kip was. Now you need to let me make a new Kip. And he's made a new kit now. And a new kit don't stink. He smells pretty good. He looks pretty good. He's dressed up pretty nice. And he lives pretty good with the Almighty Lord. All because God did his life for me. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying to please Nick. I'm tired of trying to please Sam. I'm just going to be old kit. The new kit that God gave me. And if I be who God made me, then everybody's going to be able to get along with me because I'm at peace with God. And although I'm in conflict with the world, I'll be at peace with everybody that's at peace with God. Everybody hold on and say they're there to this day. They're there to this day. So I beseech you, have your funeral. Get it over with. Boo-hoo and cry. Scream. Hug. Your sins are still in the middle of the door. Tomorrow morning, 10.30, if you can come and pray with these ladies, come and pray with them. They'll need you. Friday night at 6 o'clock, we'll be getting a, a new book to you here. It's going to be a, a couple of weeks before it comes in. We'll start a brand new study that's really going to open up your eyes. If you really want to understand that your sins are over with, that you're not in sin anymore, and know how to possess your promised land, then you need to come here. Uh, Aunt Janice, she teaches this book. Because mm -hmm. it will richly change your life. Amen. <clears throat> Anybody got anything else to add tonight? Saturday at 3 o'clock, Emily Shaw. Saturday at 3 o'clock, Emily Shaw, we're here at the church. Saturday. At 3 o'clock. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. You're sick. You're sick, that's what you're sick. <laughs> Stretch your hand to us, Father. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come against this situation. Father, we stand against these symptoms. They are alive, straight from hell. This family is healed through the power of Almighty God. We bind any attack of the enemy to make them sick. Father, now in the precious power and the blood of Jesus Christ, the stripes of Jesus Christ, we apply it to them. Let them arise in this in, in the next day, Lord God, and feel the mighty power of God as it moves in their body. Father, now in the name of Jesus, we bind any attack of the enemy to make them even doubt that it's happened. Father, now in the name of Jesus, we release the healing power of God. We know it shall be done. Father, tonight, take this word, bind it around her finger, tie it upon her neck, put it around her head, Lord God, and write it upon the tablets of our heart. Help us, Lord, to accept the fact that our sins are still buried in the Jordan and that we are sitting at the right hand of Jesus Christ. Go with us, lead God, and direct us. Bring us back in love and in unity once again here as we join together in your presence. In Jesus' name, have your way in our life and let us be that light to a lost soul in the next few days as we come back together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God a good hand, clap of praise, shake a hand, hug your neck, tell them you love them. I'll see you guys if I can't see you in the morning.